Ach. Chopping wood inside. And we're back. I'm Murphy. Uh, Tom, you out there? Yeah, you know whose birthday it is today? Uh, our Lord Savior. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes, it is. Happy birthday, David Lynch. 72. Happy birthday, David Lynch. 72 years and yep. going. We hope he lives to be 92, right? At least. At least, right? Didn't he have a quote recently that he said that he wanted, he really kind of envisions himself working for like another 20, 30, 40 years? 40 like years. That, that 40 would be years. good. Sure. I like that. Well, so we're here to talk about some unsolved mysteries. Is that what we're, our theme is for today? Yeah, yeah. And I thought maybe you were going to do a little, little bit of a Robert Stack intro, maybe. Uh, I don't do a stack, but uh, yeah, we were thinking about, you know, it's kind of amazing that we've come up with, uh, you know, a unified theory about the whole series when there's so many unsolved mysteries that are just kind of dangling out there, little wonderful threads that we never got tied up. So we thought about we'd talk about some of those today, right? Yeah, we're going to go ahead and talk about those. But, of course, I think we'll wind up talking about, you know, the, the big mystery, the whole Judy, the ending. Of course, it's, it's never ending. I mean, we're always kind of coming up with new ideas. Someone posted on the 25 Years Later site, which is a great site, a new theory, I think, on Judy or that Sarah Palmer is the dreamer. Everyone's trying to um, kind of uh, place the dreamer as, you know, with Cooper or Laura but this was, it was an interesting read. I didn't necessarily agree with a lot of it, but uh, like you were saying, we were talking right before uh, we recorded. It's just great that there are people out there still, you know, throwing stuff out there and uh, doing it in a very uh, uh, interesting manner. So it was a, it was an interesting read. Check yeah, it out. we're not the only ones. So I like the idea that it could that Sarah could be the dreamer, and I think that maybe uh, if there is a season four, that that could be a really strong possibility that she would play a larger role, and we get to because that was the big that was one of the one of the big mysteries. We'd start with that one, <laughs> like Sarah. Is she on your list? I don't know. Who's on your list. <laughs> yeah. It's a big list, my friend. Yeah, sure. Let's jump into it. So you really so your thoughts on Sarah Palmer? So you know we kind of agree that obviously she's host to something, but we want to go ahead and kind of label her Judy in uh, in the series, the third season. Well, Mark Frost labeled her Judy. So, well, he, you know, her right. middle name, Judith. Yeah, but well, I mean, <laughs> she's also the bug girl, right? That's what he implied. The whole New Mexico upbringing and all that jazz seemed to imply that all that stuff from episode eight was Sarah Palmer. And I, I don't understand. Have you noticed that? Like, he, people say, "Oh, that's canon." It is canon. Is it canon? Sure. Why not? It's Mark Frost. You yeah. sure? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, I, I would, I would really venture a guess to say that Lynch probably, I wouldn't say he agrees with it. But I would say that he has a different interpretation with a lot of the material in Frost's book. I think this is just his way of getting his story, his interpretation out there. I mean, Lynch is, I mean, they wrote the script together, but Lynch does the whole visual thing. He directs it. And uh, Frost, he's the novelist. He writes the books. So I think it's canon. Um, But I don't think it's the end-all, be-all. Like, I think that with Judy specifically, and we've talked about this, and I think you even coined it, was like, we have these children uh, of Judy. We have multiple, like, I think Lois Duffy, uh, the tulpa that Albert references, and I think part, I don't know if it was 12, but I think she is a Judy, a, a, a child of, uh, of, of Judy, and I think that NATO as well, and Sarah Palmer, and there's countless Mrs. others. Chibon? Uh, I don't know. I think Mrs. Tremont is a little bit different. I think she's an actual spirit, right? Don't you I think? don't know. I don't know. She seemed like she was like, 
like inhabited, like she was like a Judy child. I thought there at the end that Mrs. Tremont, not the. Original oh, you're talking about the, the not Frances Bay from the original from episode series, eighteen, so. the woman that answered the door. Right. Well, I mean, I have a whole idea on that one. Is that the the whole thing with you know we do know that we're we're dealing with obviously at least one different timeline and alternate timeline because Cooper actually goes back in time and and alters events and saves saves Laura and changes that when we see her body washed up on shore disappear so um, that was a big obviously shock or whatever but for me it seems like that even though that exists there is like season one season two uh, Leland as Bob you know raping Laura and then ultimately killing her um, but I think that what we're getting here is is another alternate timeline where Leland isn't host to Bob and it's the Sarah story where she is host to an evil entity and she wants to destroy her daughter. So I really kind of believe that it's not like everything has changed. I mean, of course it has. I just think we're seeing a different timeline, a different interpretation. And I think we're seeing multiple timelines and multiple interpretations. That's why it's so confounding. You can come up with a great idea, a great theory or whatever, but there's always like, you know, six, seven things to go ahead and kind of like, you know, puncture it a little bit. I don't really think there's any definitive answer, but I think that there are solid clues out there as to what certain things mean. Uh, yeah, so do you think one of the unsolved mysteries is uh, who was in Sarah's Kitchen, an episode, whatever that was? Yeah, you know what? I just watched it because that is part 12. That's the one I just I, I queued kitchen? up. Um, well, I, you know, okay, so if this was, TV? you know, kind of a movie of the week, then it would have been the kid in the the in the mart, right? The uh, little... Because you know, I'll, I'll deliver her her stuff, and yeah, uh, she no. obviously she, was a she would not look terrified. She had that really suspicious look. <laughs> she did. I know. Yeah. She would look like that if little Jimmy was there from the dropping off groceries. Yeah, but it's I like mean, the come on, that's, back there. Right, that's I think hell ridiculous. From hell. She'd be busted. I mean, you know, come on. Everyone knew that he was going yeah, there. Isn't it he weird? Like Hawk, could, Hawk didn't go through that threshold either, did he? Like just like Cooper in eighteen. Like they, no one can step over that door to go see what's in there. Well, I think yeah, there's there really is a, a change from part seven at the end of part seven. We don't have any mention of Laura Palmer's murder. I think we only get two mentions of her murder in the entire series. One is you know when the uh, Hawk and Truman are looking over the diary, and it was one when uh, Ben is talking to Beverly. But after part seven, there's no mention of Laura's murder, and we had that scene at the diner at the end of part seven where everything kind of switched. It got, you know, just the the patrons switched and you had, you know, Lynch's son come in and ask where Billy is or Bing or something. But I think that was a kind of a visual clue that, that things are kind of changing. Like what Tammy experienced in the book about her memories kind of being foggy. I think since Cooper did go back in time, obviously it didn't happen until part 17, but the way that time works being nebulous and everything that I think that in our show, the events in Twin Peaks started to change at that point because we'd only seen Sarah one time up until, you know, uh, part 12. I mean, it was in part two when she's watching TV, right? We didn't see her again until part 12. Yeah, but it seemed if it started like changing time, like the whole Laura retcon dying, like started to slowly show as clues throughout the series, starting in seven, as you're saying, because her death was no longer mentioned. Is it kind of weird that like Sarah, she didn't get any better? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? She got worse. Like as the series went on, progressed, became even more evil. Do you really want to fuck with this? Laura had been retconned, right? Like you would think, if your daughter had suddenly not died. Uh, Maybe your life would have been better. 
not been murdered by your own husband at least if she just went missing it seems like you would be less traumatized than if your husband had like raped and murdered her well yeah but i don't think it fully kind of took effect like if you think about that scene at jack rabbit's palace um in part 14 after the events there and truman and hawk you know what what happened they couldn't kind of remember what happened i think that kind of is kind of symbolic of, of the things that were going on. I think that slowly over time, things were getting like a little like foggier. And I think you can kind of apply that to like Sarah and not necessarily being maybe like fully aware that Laura was saved or was going to be saved. But I think her becoming, you know, more of the forefront of uh, this, this villainous um, taking the role of, of Leland basically from the original series and really going back to like Fire Walk With Me one thing that I want to kind of talk about as well is I, I this series even though it, the original series ended with Cooper in the Lodge and that's kind of where we picked up but this really does the season 3 felt more like a sequel to Fire Walk With Me and if you think about the end of Fire Walk With Me with Laura trapped not trapped, but, you know, in the lodge at the end, getting her angels, and there's her little guardian angel, Cooper, there, without the pin, by the way. We'll, we'll get into that maybe a little bit later. But Not again, please. <laughs> but you, you brought up, like, many moons ago, uh, the uh, I think the bardo, you know, the, the, the Buddhism, the bardo, like the transitioning between, like, uh, death and kind of rebirth. You could really kind of take and run with the notion that at the end of Firewalk With Me, Laura is dead, and events in the third season of some of the events, not everything, uh, being like a transition, like a Bardo state for her character, having like certain hallucinations and and karma being a part of that. Um, I don't think it's an overarching thing. I don't think it means it's tied to everything, but I think it's a, it's a possibility. And I think it also kind of ties into Cooper a little bit as well. So um, the whole that goes back to the kind of Sarah thing. Like if Sarah was, it was all about Sarah in season three, like that article implies, like you used to haven't read it, but uh, why wasn't she shown more in the series? And it's also kind of like, if this was like a Bardo dream state of Laura, she was only in a couple of scenes, you know, it's like, you think she'd played a more prominent role in her own transition. You would think so, but I think you kind of feel like the presence of, of Laura, not necessarily. I mean, obviously we see her, homecoming picture you know during the opening credits but i think in the actions and the actual like mood of the town and one of the things that i kind of keep going back to when i look at the the town of twin peaks in season three and because it's darker like i think i've compared it to the deer meadow sequences and fire walk with me but um if Laura being the glow, being the one that the log lady mentions and seeing her hovering over the town during the opening credits, I kept thinking about that line, that great scene, one of my favorite scenes in the first, uh, first season when, uh, when Jacoby is, uh, is talking with Bobby. You know, he's got Garland and uh, Betty in there, and he dismisses them because he really wants to talk to Bobby because he wants to get at at the root of of Laura. And they have this great, like, dialogue. And basically, Bobby and and Jacob, or Bobby, I think, says that, you know, Laura was, like, corrupt, and she felt that people were sick and rotten to the core. And Jacoby says, well, that's exactly how she felt. And she wanted to corrupt people because that's how she felt. And then Bobby says, whenever she tried to do good, she kept getting pulled down. Something, you know, some deep, dark secret kept pulling her down. If you want to think about, like, you know, some aspects of Laura as the dreamer or maybe even a Bardo state, that those, you know, those components still exist in Laura's spirit, that those kind of, you know, negative qualities that that rotten to the core. And I think that might have kind of, 
you know, kind of cascaded as kind of some kind of physical or psychic residue in the Twin Peaks community, specifically kind of those roadhouse scenes um, with those characters who we don't really have, you know, any affiliation with. And they're just talking about kind of random people. And they all seem, you know, they're all younger people. Most they're most I mean, mostly women, except for Scott Coffee shows up there. And you were talking about like, you know, infidelity and drug abuse and the things that are kind of associated with Laura. Did she tell you there, there was no goodness in the world? She said people tried to be good, but they were really sick and rotten, her most of all. And every time she tried to make the world a better place, something terrible came up inside her and pulled her back down into hell. It took her deeper and deeper into the blackest nightmare. I think Briggs, I'd love to talk about some of the Briggs aspects because I came up, I didn't come up, I, I came across um, the scene in the original series. I think it's the second to last episode when Hawk finds him, like in the woods after you know he uh, leaves uh, Wyndham Earl's little cabin. Leo helps him escape, save Shelley. And uh, one of the first things he says to Hawk is... Which way is the castle? And I know he's in his hallow paradol state or whatever, but um, that made me think of that, you know, that shot in part eight when we actually go to the fireman's mansion, we get to see the exterior of it. Yeah. And it looks I like a castle. Yeah. You know? It's like the mansion. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the fireman's mansion. That's cool. Because well, he was looking for the White Lodge in the original series, right? Yeah. So don't whole... you think when he got taken away in season one for a couple of days, he went to the White Lodge? Yeah, doesn't he even say he said? I think he says, "I believe I was taken to the White Lodge." I think that's what he says. <laughs> doesn't he say that? Well, I guess it's definitive. I think you're right, Tom. <laughs> I do recall that. Well, dude, that's it then. I don't somehow I hadn't made that connection definitively, but you, we just I think you just made an obvious point that uh, it was a revelation to me. It's great. Yeah, and I think that was it. That was the point for him, and starting with all of his kind of like ultimately his like time traveling it was like once he like made contact with i'm assuming the the giant in the original series the fireman and and this season the white lodge that he became like an ambassador um to to the white lodge and was able to you know had special gifts obviously where he did not age or he was going backwards and forwards in time and assisted the firemen and trying to thwart obviously Mr. C and then I think ultimately like you know a side story with Judy so um, yeah because he will was there will we ever understand where his ring how his ring got in uh, or Dougie's wedding ring got into his stomach no that one in the fingerprints is still so so very mysterious I mean that that component and then Diane's story about Janie E I mean those are two things I want to kind of talk about but I really don't think that there's enough meat on the bone to really kind of come up with anything like concrete because it, it, it literally was them just kind of like, you know, just, just throwing it out there. There's nothing that we can associate. It's a mystery creator. Yeah. It is. The only thing that I think we discussed was that um, it, it set the FBI on that track to ultimately find like Dougie. So it could have been a clue that major Briggs obviously being, you know, having the foresight to see events in the future it could have just been, okay, 
you know, I'll, I know that, you know, my body is going to, you know, be found in buckhorn. My head is going to go up to, you know, the spiritual plane, the next level, but it's going to be, you know, autopsied and they're going to find that ring and it's going to get to the, the police. The good men are going to ultimately lead to, you know, Vegas and, and Dougie. So that's the only thing I can kind of think of. Couldn't the ring also be like a part of Dougie's dream, maybe? Or Dougie's Cooper's dream? dream? Or Cooper. Cooper's dream as Dougie? Yeah. Well, don't you think that some of these events, right? Because we talked about Cooper never actually physically leaving the lodge, that in his state, in his, it's like a newborn, that maybe we know part of that, I think, is because of, you know, traveling from dimension to dimension, you know, on, on the surface level, I should say. But maybe he has all these scenes in his head, like, you know, like Fireman and, and Mike in the lodge, and maybe even some scenes in like Twin Peaks, or maybe he's having some kind of shared dream with Laura Palmer that is clouding his mind where he's unable to formulate sentences. So that very well could be true. Yeah, I still think that it's a possibility that episode eight is all in his head. All a Cooper dream. Well, you mean the whole, like, 1945, whole thing. 56? Whole thing, Bubba. Well, why do you think—I want to throw you a question to you. Why do you think it was part eight, specifically, that that was the flashback? Like, right after the Mr. C scene, basically, it's shot, and we see the Bob bubble in him. Do you think Showmanship. Was... <laughs> Simple. You don't think there was anything maybe tied to Bob or Mr. C, that scene— to go back and show that kind of origin story of, of the experiment and the woodsman. Well, what did we see before? We had seen the mother, right? So that was, we had seen the box monster. And so I think that, and then we had heard like mothers coming, uh, you know, in episode three or part three. And then I'm not sure we got a lot of more lodge antics until, uh, that. So it's almost like that was kind of showing us where those clues, uh, originated from. You could put the pieces together that the box monster is that creature spewing. And that, if that creature is creating, you know, evil, like Bob orbs, it could be like a mother type creature, you know? So I don't know. I mean, I think it's, it helped uh, tie the mystical elements of the, the, the return uh, into like a little teaser there in the middle of the, the season to keep us going. You know, I think that's why they put it there. They could have, I mean, what if it was in the first episode <laughs> or like the, you know, it could have been anywhere. It could have been all over the place. If they, it could have really been anywhere if they wanted it to be. Well, do you think that it what in the script, because obviously they wrote it, they put it in somewhere. Do you think it really followed that scene? No. Do you think it was somewhere else? I don't know. It's a good question. I don't think it, no. I, don't, I would see that it probably wasn't there when it was written, but maybe it was, you know, I don't know. If you had to venture a guess. I don't know how you even write a scene, an episode like that. <laughs> it's like do you think maybe they long. thought of it as maybe one like episode and, and for some reason it didn't like turn out to be like close to an hour, so they had to put it. You know, with like another scene. Yeah, maybe they thought like literally like in the script, it was like, you know, obviously you've got the Cooper getting, uh, you know, shot and the woodsman and all that stuff and Ray driving. And then you have the uh, the bug, the bug girl down in New Mexico. And then you have the radio station. But all the other shit, like the 20 minutes or 30, whatever that was, just the chaos. I guess you also have the, the White Lodge, but a lot of that would be hard to write down as to what you're about to see, Buster. It's just going to be <laughs> going to get weird. And it probably could have been lasted a minute. It could have lasted five. It lasted probably 20 Going back to that scene in, I think, part two, where the evolution of the arm asks Cooper, do you remember your doppelganger? And they cut to um, Cooper and, and Bob laughing maniacally at the end of the series. And then also the, the scene in part five where Cooper looks in the mirror and sees Bob. Like We talked about this. We think that might have been for people who weren't 
up on the Twin Peaks kind of mythology, like, you know, what, what's going on here? Because obviously Bob and the doppelganger notion is, is playing a huge part in the series. If you don't know, if you didn't catch the first two seasons, that's kind of, you know, not going to give you all the answers, but give you a little kind of insight that there's something going on with this guy here. Well, a third way to kind of communicate to the audience would be like after you see the Bob bubble inside of Cooper in part eight, and then you go back and you show the, the atomic bomb and then you show the experiment, which you can, you can associate maybe with the glass box monster. And then you see the Bob bubble come out of it, that it, it's another kind of visual clue to the audience. Oh, okay. All right. To, to the kind of the, the more of the non-fans. So that might've been a reason why perhaps. Well, it expands the mythology as well. Cause we didn't know where Bob came from. We just thought he walked out of some curtain and just ended up in, in you, you know, well, yeah, know exactly. Yeah. Happened. So it gave yeah. us a whole new idea of like, what the fuck? And that maybe he's not the ultimate evil, that there is another, the mother of all. Well, others. we thought Bob was kind of the ultimate evil, but now it, it, he's not right. It's, it's Judy. No. It's the, yeah, you know, the really. extreme negative force. And yeah. he is a, a part of, and going back to the whole Briggs thing with the, uh, the, um, the phone call where Mr. C is talking to um, he, who he thinks is, is Philip Jeffries. The voice says one of the first things is you met with Major Garland Briggs. And I think, doesn't Mr. C say, how did you know that? But, um, and we've talked about that scene over and over again, who we think it is. But one of the things that I kind of just kind of put together, I mean, seeing these episodes like a million times, but sometimes it just takes a few times to kind of get, oh, okay. A few hundred times. Connect the dots. A few hundred times, right? But that whole scene in part 15 where Cooper or Mr. C goes to see Jeffries at the Dutchman's, you know, the convenience store, above the convenience store, and asking about Judy. Who is Judy? Does, does Judy want something from me? And Jeffries says, well, you've already met Judy. And then that, that, that phone rings in the room. And Mr. C goes and he picks it up. And then he's kind of teleported outside the convenience store in the pay phone, uh, pay, or the, the, the phone booth. And he has the phone still pressed to his ear. And there's like, no, we don't hear anything, but I thought maybe you can make a connection to like the phone, a call being made with Mr. C to that conversation in part two, that maybe the voice on the other end was Judy. Yeah. Like maybe you're implying that like, did he ever receive any other phone calls in the entire series? Is every phone call he receives from Judy? <laughs> we had all those phones. I think he called, then he called like Duncan Todd, like at least one time, but and he made Did the we phone actually hear call him talk five. though. And we heard his end of the line. Did we hear him speak to Duncan? No, Did maybe the, I don't. They maybe cross cut it, you know. But I just, I just I think that, that that for me the whole thing with who was on the end, other end of that line it can only be like the usual suspects, of, you know, Mike, uh, maybe Leland, but I think that's far fetched. <laughs> no, maybe Philip Jeffries. <laughs> well, I mean, kind of cool, right? <laughs> and and this kind of the Judy, like being with Bob again because she uh, Bob came from the experiment we saw in part eight. And it really, if, if that is true, if somehow if that is true, it really kind of broadens the whole Mr. C like paradigm, his kind of end game, because we think that he kind of wants to be reunited with Judy, but we know that he doesn't, he doesn't know who Judy is. What's on his playing card could very well be that glass box monster or experiment, but he certainly doesn't associate that with the name of Judy, which is also so how does he true. know what he wants to do then? Who gave him the orders? How did he figure this out? I don't how think he's taking orders. I know, but how did he get on this mission? Who was his Obi-Wan? You know what I'm saying? Like, if he doesn't even know who Judy is, but he's seeking her out, like, why and who told him? Well, I don't think, I, I don't think anyone told him to do anything. I think personally, because it's one just, of the first things he did once he left DNA. the lodge 
at the end of the original series, he went looking for Briggs. And he knew that I think Briggs had been to the White Lodge and they were looking for the White Lodge. That was it. I think he wanted to get to the White Lodge and maybe be reunited with that symbol. But he doesn't know that it's called Judy. But the thing that kind of punctures a hole in that theory, in my opinion, is that I believe that Cooper and Mr. C they have the same like memories i think you know mr c no he knows andy oh hello andy hello lucy because because it, it, part of him is is cooper and if cooper according to gordon like you know knew of judy and had this whole two birds with one stone plan i would think that cooper or mr c would know about judy but obviously he doesn't well maybe he knows her as jowday <laughs> he couldn't kind it's of slow it down or kind of yeah. quicken it and just do Jowday, Judy, kind of make that connection. To, yeah. it's, it's, it confused you. You thought there was, you know, you're splitting hairs between the Judy and Jowday thing. You thought there was Judy and there was a Jowday. I still am. I'm just, for simplicity's sake, I'm just saying Judy instead of doing Jowday and Judy. But I still believe there's a difference between Jowday and Judy. Because I love your idea of the children of, Ju- uh, the children of Jowday are Judy. The Judy children, is Jowday. yeah. They take their faces off. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. anything else on Briggs and the unsolved uh, file well I mean you know the other thing is the, the fingerprints but you know and we've talked about this there's no real kind of new <laughs> intel right it's back to the fingerprints yeah it's just uh, so I mean if we hooked a lid ship on Haloperidol and put him on a lie detector test asked him like what's with the fingerprints I don't know like or, you know I don't think he's got answers to some of these things I just think it's no I think yeah, there's mystery. some deliberate kind of red herrings but you can also maybe make the leap that those crime scenes they happen obviously at crime scenes could have been associated with Mr. C and it could have been something like with the ring that Briggs wanted someone to kind of put the you know clues together to ultimately find like Mr. C but apparently no one did so he would show up in the White Lodge he would like pop in from the White Lodge or a portal at all these crime scenes lay his little cosmic fingerprints down and then leave maybe he was moving evidence around the crime scene when Mr. C came and whacked somebody maybe if it was like you know the missing DNA or gun or whatever was in some place that could not be found, he would move it to where it could be found so they could say, oh, my God, this is from Agent Cooper. He's been gone for 25 years. Oh, there's also a weird fingerprint of a dead colonel. You should look into this. Send it to the Blue Rose team. You know? He's or maybe major. in season four, it'll turn out that Mr. Uh, uh, that Briggs is like some sort of time-traveling Philip Jeffries, and he was going to these crime scenes to try to stop Mr. C, but always failing. But I think Cooper is more kind of the, the failed detective as opposed to Briggs. But we can also say that I think the fireman, his plan, and I think Briggs is a part of that because we saw Briggs with the fireman in part 17. I, I think ultimately, in this season at least, it, it did not kind of come to fruition. Even though they got Mr. C, they caged him, they, they had him sent to the uh, sheriff's station. I think they were thwarted by, by Judy. I agree. So I think, I think that, Mr. C kind yeah. of failed. I mean, Briggs kind of failed and the giant kind of failed. Like, why does he need to go to 16, 17 crime scenes <laughs> right. to try to expose him and get him caught? He didn't work. He kept trying. Yeah, and I think that's why the fireman in part one is so kind of stern. He's just, you see the kind of concern on his face talking to Cooper. It is in her house now because I think they they got duped or, you know, whatever their chess match, they, you know, they got their, uh, their uh, you know, some more of their pieces taken by Judy. And they've got to take this new tack of Odessa. And that leads into the, the next kind of unsolved mystery, because this really is a huge pickle. And there's because there's so much information, you would think we would be able to kind of tie these events together. But I think there's even some red herrings in these visual clues is when the fireman is showing Andy the series of images in part 14. And uh, 
I, I just you would think that, that that is very specific to like okay what's going on but I think like I said I think the the idea that we have it all and we see the the glass box monster we see uh, the Bob Bubble we see the Woodsman um, we you know we see um, uh, Cooper and Mister C you know it's kind of building and then we have the number six electrical pole like if really if Sarah Palmer was the extreme negative force the ultimate evil and that is the most dangerous component in this whole like narrative don't you think that would have been part of the visual clues to, to Andy yeah you'd think so so you'd show the Palmer house or something yeah exactly because he had it up in his screen in part 17 well they did show mother so there was Judy spewing they showed that yeah, but he's giving, I mean, specific. I but mean, he's showing so there's Sarah. two Coopers. Yeah. I mean, so there's Laura with angels. So why not at least be a little bit cryptic and show the Palmer house if that is going to be, because he winds up going forward in time or into a different timeline for that number six electrical pole. Because we saw it with Carl Rod in part six. We saw it, it, it you know, it, that was in like Twin Peaks. When he looked, it was like, it was the one in Twin Peaks or, Maybe he was flashing back to, to uh, Deer Meadow or the Fat Trot Trailer Park from Firewalk with Me, but it was a different electrical pole than the one we saw outside Carrie Page's house. So there are multiple. Yeah, well, I think there's six. multiple number sixes. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, well, maybe so, like the giant is just like a performance artist, and so like Andy just showed up for a show, <laughs> and he got you know what he what he threw down. It's not supposed to solve everything. It's supposed to give you like kind of really get you on the Mr. C vibe. Really, that's what that's about. Like to prepare him for the coming of Mr. C, and to figure that out. Yeah, but that's then really why the main purpose of it, right? And to get Lucy to you know to get Lucy there prepared to shoot him. Yeah, but why throw in Laura Palmer with the angels and the number six electrical pole? I don't know. That's a really cool image. I would like just like that as like a, a moving digital GIF painting, constantly floating like the little angels and stuff. <laughs> that's a really cool <laughs> shot. I don't really know why it's there, Tom. I don't get it. Well, that's I think I mean that obviously relates to part eighteen. And it relates what if the to, whole I, series is like, a, like you said, like a, a transition period of Laura between Firewalk with Me and Heaven or whatever, the afterlife, so that it's just a reminder that she was there. I think you kind of like already poo-pooed that. Are you coming back yeah, already? I'm trying to coming back. I'm trying to, trying to justify <laughs> it. That's why. No, I I, yeah, I think. I mean, well, obviously, Laura emanated from the firemen, so there, there's that. There's a strong connection. I believe that she, you know, he sent Laura to our Earth for a very specific reason, and he wants her either to act as some kind of deterrent to the evil out there or like we talked about possibly be a presence in the black lodge like have knowing that she was going to be martyred or or killed or act as a martyr and wind up in the black lodge and to be a, a positive influence within that construct because what we saw in the black lodge um, in this series is not very dark at all i mean there's a few moments you know when shit was going down in part two but other than that, it was totally different than we saw in the end of the original series with all these multiple doppelgangers and Laura screaming and all kinds of chaos and everything. So, um, so do yeah. You, I mean, do I you think, think – wait, here's a question. Do you think when, like, uh, Laura gets sucked away in 17, right, and sent to uh, Odessa, or I guess maybe, let's just pr- pr- suppose that happens. Do you think that the, the giant in, in, or the fireman in the White Lodge knows where she is or that Judy had hidden her there, there in a pocket universe so that she could not be found – by because if she's supposed to be the savior, you know, blob shot, shot down there in the golden orb in episode eight, then they would want to know where she is, where their savior is. Their little Joan of Arc uh, character that's been pulled away. Like, do you think right. that the giant knows where she is in uh, eighteen? In yeah, I, I think it's. I think that it wasn't like Judy 
plucking Laura out in, in part 17. I think it was the fireman doing it because Cooper was taking her to the, the, his domain, his mansion. They were going to the, the portal there. And I think for one reason or the other, if, if it was something that the fireman didn't want Cooper to do, either save Laura or at least not bring her there, that he plucked her out and he put her in Odessa because of what we just talked about, his clues to Andy. He, he, he showed him Odessa. I don't so think Odessa he, is White Lodge land, though. I well, I mean, I'm not saying it's White Lodge land, but I think that you asked me if like, he knows about Laura being or Carrie, whatever, in that location. Well, he knew that the number six electrical pole, that visual image is Odessa, the one outside of her house. That was part 14. So I think, yes, he did know. God, I want a better travel agent then. I don't know my travel agent. He's like, hey, honey, I'm going to take you out of this hell. I'm going to put you into this hell. But don't you think that all those clues that he was he was given Andy, it was like building. It was almost like the whole narrative itself, like starting with the glass box. Monster. Yeah, I could see what you're saying because it showed the six. You know, he might be trying to. But what is what, what's the use of giving Andy that information? I, I, I don't know. That's it's the whole thing, because he just all he knew is that it was, <laughs> it was NATO was very important. And he knew to obviously give Lucy the gun to, to you know, shoot Mr. C. But Andy probably couldn't deduce what the hell any of that other shit meant. No. Even I mean, so that that's maybe I mean, season that's kind four. Of forcible. You're gonna maybe season four. They'll jump forward in time, and Andy will have like a giant beard and be very scholarly, and he'll be like <laughs> using that like enlightened information to go on this journey to try to figure it all out, and he'll be like a lead character. <laughs> I would love it. He would have become enlightened. Yeah, that would have been an enlightening moment for him. Well, here's too goes early was... in uh, the return season three because it just happened, right? You couldn't see him get enlightened, but maybe after Lucy kills, you know, Mister C, they go on some sort of. Uh, character uh, evolution of their own. Yeah, I kind of like that. Harry yeah. Ghost is kind of a little hipster himself. I've yeah, seen him at various... Yeah, yeah, long hair. He did have a beard Glasses. recently. He looked yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. He's got his little hair like kind of like poofed up like uh, like Andy. Yeah. Well, who's yeah. that thought then? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's next? <laughs> well, dude, one thing I was thinking I want to ask you is why do you think in Park 17 when after the shit goes down at, in the sheriff's station uh, and as Lynch described in the behind the scenes on the Blu-ray that they go off to like Never Never Land, that it's Diane, Cooper, and Cole. Why do you think Cole is there? I have no idea. That's a really good question. It doesn't seem like Cole should be there at all. Right. But, but obviously, we've been seeing in the season, you know, he's been, he's tapped in, man. He's standing around Buckhorn when he was, it was like he was out there looking for Mike, like Bob, Mike. He was when all the computers are going around, whatever. I think it was like in the <laughs> Let's Rock episode. I'm not sure which one it was. Or maybe it was the one when uh, she came to kill him. But uh, he's obviously tapped in to, uh, you know, the lodge, or to the, he saw Laura, for God's sake, at the door. So that's why, I suppose, we're supposed to go, okay, he is also touched somehow and he's a part of this but but he's not crossing over he never talks about crossing over or we've never seen him in the lodge so it's a good question unsolved yeah no i think that you hit on some of this, the points that i would have, have uh, made is that he is like cooper that he is somehow gifted and he's somehow a receiver of these dreams or the, of these you know images these clues and they manifest themselves within these dreams and like you said he even saw laura palmer but what we kind of posited uh that in part 17 that the diane that we saw from nato is not necessarily diane that we think it's we we really kind of believe that it's judy uh kind of manifesting herself within diane and the big kind of visual clue for that is in part 18 when she sees her double outside of the hotel but wouldn't it be interesting if that was the case 
that here we are going on this new adventure. Cooper is leaving them to go back in time to save Laura. And he's with his colleague, the gifted Cole, but he's also with Judy as the damn, well. The damn Judy. I think it's possible. Like he's like he thinks he's going on a holy mission, but he's already got a saboteur in the ranks already. In the in the midst, yeah. He doesn't exactly. even know it, in the midst. Yeah. So and then kind of just going right into the next scene when he actually goes and sees Mike and he recites that poem and he is in the Firewalk with Me poem and they uh, they find themselves or he leads Cooper up the stairs of the Dutchman's, the convenience store, and ultimately to like Philip Jeffries, but there's no presence of any woodsman or bosomy woman or any kind of darkness other than that glimpse of jumpy man. the jumpy man, right? So do you think it's possible since Mike uh, is associated with the the arm, the little man, Michael J. Anderson, the evolution of the arm, that is it possible that he really is the magician of that poem, that he is able somehow to, you know, wave his, you know, magic wand in whatever kind of way and kind of manipulate time and space? Well, that could be, yeah, that'd be his incantation that he speaks. That's what magicians do. They have incantations, right? Wizards and whatnot, witches. Yeah. Yeah. And he obviously was given Cooper clues during the whole series while he was in Vegas. But the whole thing was that is, is but also what I'm thinking is, is that now that Bob is supposedly no longer exists, or at least in that form because of what you know transpired at the sheriff's station, that the woodsmen who seemed to be tied to him in, in, in some fashion, uh, but since Bob is gone, that their presence no longer exists, at least at that time, within the convenience store, the Dutchman's, and that's why we didn't see them at that. Yeah, Bob and his moment. homies, his, his autage had left the lodge. They had left the building. Right. So yeah, right. I buy that. And so they'll yeah. be back. I mean, <laughs> oh, they'll be. Back. But we did see the Jumpy Man, right? We did see the Jumpy Man. Yeah. So is that another? What the hell's the Jumpy Man all about, man? Who is the Jumpy Man? Well, don't you think that there really, really is a strong correlation Jimmy? between the Jumpy Man? And that the bug that we saw that went into Sarah. Yes, the little nose and the whole thing. It does remind me of the and also when Sarah, you know, ate the neck off of that one guy, the trucky guy, kind of had a little pointy snoot. Yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah. And then we saw, saw the her face. <laughs> obviously, we saw her face. That's a huge clue, layered over right. the jumpy man. So obviously, they're tied together. Well, Lynch described that character to the actor in Firewalk with Me as a talisman. So. I always thought that if that was the case, if that was what was inhabiting Sarah Palmer, that whatever shit was going to go down in part 18 or whenever either Mr. C arrived or when Cooper brought Laura back, that she would be kind of the facilitator of some kind of ritual uh, to, to do what, you know, have you, I don't know, probably read a Aleister Crowley book or something like that or go, you know, read the archives of Jack Parsons. I don't know. But I think that would be her role. Because I, I just don't think that the whole idea, if you want to go with Mr. C and, as Bob uh, coming to you, reunite with Judy if she was inside of Sarah, the whole goal is for them to kind of get together and fuck. And that, that was it, to bring about the end of the world like, you know, that, that Frost uh, intimates in his book. I just don't think, you know, that, that that's the case. I think there's more to it than that. Obviously, we don't know what it is. But um, I think it's much deeper and darker than that because there are all kinds of lodge spirits. You mentioned the Tremonts before. Uh, we didn't see anything of them up until the very end. But um, I, I would I think, think that every one of those uh, eggs that the mother spewed in Part Eight has got a lodge creature in it, like a spirit, a different one. Yeah, right. And they could very well be the reason that we have the lowest Duffies of the world. There's like all these 
children of, of, of Judy um, and represented by these bugs. So kind did of, the woodsman come from the eggs? I don't think so, no. Yeah, I, don't think I think so they're just somehow... Are they zombie, um, like really zombie things? Like did they get nuked or something and become like Bob's, you know, because they, were they the Dugpas? Like, you know, ritualistically conjuring it from Earth and then they became otherworldly because of that exposure, but they didn't actually originate from the mother. They are like spirits. Like I think like Bob and, and, and Mike and the Tremons and the, the whole above the convenience store and fire walk with me because we did have woodsmen there. I think that's it. This was a meeting place for these spirits. So we saw in this new series, we saw the woodsman and we did see the jumpy man. We just didn't see the Tremons. And Mike wasn't there. Um, and Bob wasn't there, obviously. But, you know, his presence was felt. So I think that they are. I think there's some kind of like they're dark sorcerers that doing the bidding of this extreme negative force. Dirty, bearded men in a room. Do you have anything? Do you have, what are your notes? Uh, they're, they're your notes. <laughs> My notes are your notes. <laughs> <laughs> one thing that I said was the unsolved, like if I could ask, I think we talked about this. If you had one question, you could ask Lynch on the haloperidol lie detector test and he would have to answer it. He couldn't say, I don't know or whatever. What would it be? Mine would be like, what the fuck does Cooper or Laura whisper Cooper in the lodge? That's what, that would be obviously my number one. What would be your yeah. number one? Well, let's talk about yours real quick. Do you think that, I mean, do you think there's an answer to that? Do you think that they actually know what she said? No, but if they had, right. they had to answer though, <laughs> if they had to create an answer, like that, basically they can't just say, I don't know. I would love to know that answer. Cause I think that if they had, if it was real, okay. Cause you can't just say, Oh, we're just watching a show. It's Lynch. It's just Lynch being Lynch. You know I mean? Let's, let's, okay. If it has, if we're, we're putting all this time into this fucking show. It has, they, she, her mouth is moving. He is, he is terrified by it. It has to be something. So if, if I would love to know what that would be, what, what it would be if it had to be something and it should be something. You know yeah, I mean? that that would be the number one question. Actually, you asked me this a couple of days ago, yeah. and I was like, that probably would have been my number one if uh, if you hadn't brought it up. But for me, I think <laughs> that <laughs> I'm still perplexed by because I I think it's the key to so many different riddles uh, is is the the true identity of NATO. Like, you know, if I had to like you know strap Lynch down and shoot him up with haloperidol. I think I'd focus in on, on the NATO as well. Like, what, you know, what, who, who you really think she is and what she represents and then ask him a bunch of secondary questions as well. Well, we think That's it's Judy, I'll... right? So he's like, it's Judy. I think it's... Like, what does that mean, though? What is it? How does it, how does it inform What us? do you mean? Like, if he was to actually what's say What's the big that? revelation? You know what I'm saying? How's it, what's that going to unlock if he were to answer Well, I question? think it unlocks, like, you know, obviously the motivation of, like, why Cooper found himself where he found himself in, in part three. And ultimately the events of like part 18 what what went down with cooper and diane um because if 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 she really is judy like what was her role in that and uh, i mean i have my own theory of that we talked about that but i would like to get like lynch's interpretation of that because i think it would I, i don't think it would match probably what i or what we came up with but I would just love to know what his thoughts are. Because I think it's fascinating because I think it cascades down to so many different things. If there is some connection to Judy and then other characters and like what ultimately you know, that means. Because the whole idea of Diane, if that was the case, if you really believe that NATO is, is Diane, like why did she wind up where she wound up? You would think that she would have just been in the red room. That was it. You know, or the convenience store. Why is she in this kind of purple room, which is akin to the fireman's domain, the mansion, which we assume is a place of light, a place of goodness. 
Um, so how did she make her? How did she find herself there? And don't you think that if she really was Diane, still unable to kind of communicate in that kind of word, at least speak and see, she obviously recognized Cooper for Cooper. Don't you think she could have just like kind of like, you know, raised her hand and made like kind of like a, like a dictaphone kind of thing, like talking into, go like, hey, this is me, this is me, Diane. To him to communicate that to him, if she really was. Well, Diane. no, obviously she couldn't talk or speak. It's like she was doing that like freeze frame and the and the all that create, create. You know, obviously it wasn't like a regular linear timeline that she was able to do things like that. She was barely able to even. She move. was able to make the throat slit kind of thing. Know, but couldn't she raise her hand and like the cut, 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 cut? That was like that was all fucked up. It was like a a glitchy system. It probably prevented well, her from... Remember when they went outside of the room on top of the box? Oh, the yeah. Space? She could have said wasn't something glitchy in. there? Yeah, she could have written, like, I'm Diane in stars or something. <laughs> that would have helped. And also with that tying in with the with the, the Major Briggs thing is when after she falls, tumbles, you know, to, through space, um, we see Major Briggs' head, and he says Blue Rose. So that could be, that could be a, a direct correlation that, okay, who we see there, right, that NATO, because that's when he appears right after that, a blue rose, you know, we associate that with like tulpas. Like she is not who she seems to be. Yeah. So okay. I always thought it meant like this is a blue rose case, but it could be directly associated with with NATO. I kind of imagine like that whole scene in part three where she's like she looked reminded of NATO at a first saw. I was like she reminds me of like a puppet. You know what I'm saying? Like a being John Malkovich that like uh you know Judy is like this huge puppeteer above her pulling the strings and just toying with uh with little Cooper down there. Yeah, it's a little yeah. diaspora like puppet stage for her, just to fuck. And the her. whole thing with the the mother knocking at the door is like mm. is a red herring. Yeah, she's like just really flicking at the door fearful. with her finger. Yeah, just flicking at it. And I came across something from uh, Hotel Room, which David Lynch directed in 93. And you and I, do you remember how excited we were? Because Twin Peaks oh, and Firewalk, yes. we were like, oh, Lynch, HBO, Hotel Room, like Harry Dean's in it, and uh, Chris Glover. Glover. Yeah, we were like, yes, awesome. And I, I don't you remember, like, just, I remember looking at your face, like, after we watched that. It was like, I was just so bad. It was a traumatic was, experience for me. I, like, I blacked it, it out. So it was horrible. <laughs> But that was the name I'd of like the to third see, episode. I'd actually like to see it again because I, I, I can't remember anything about it. It's not bad, actually, because he only directed the uh, first one and the last one. And they're actually, they're actually pretty good. The middle section with, I think, Griffin Dunn, he didn't direct, which was not good at all. But um, <laughs> those two are, aren't as bad. I think our expectations were just uh, yeah. a little sky high, and yeah. we didn't know what to expect. But there's an image in that part three. It's called Blackout, and it's just Alicia Witt who plays Kirsten Hayward in Twin Peaks and Crispin Glover and it's set like in the 40s or whatever during an actual blackout and there's an image of her like sitting on you know a sofa of some sort and she's wearing like a red dress and it's it's you know obviously it's in the past and she's sitting upright in good posture and she's holding her hand up above her eyes and if you look at an image of NATO in part three right before she senses Cooper you know, obviously she's not holding her hand up, but she's blind herself. It's strikingly similar, just the visual um, of both of those scenes. And I mean, it doesn't mean anything. I mean, as an artist, Lynch is ripping himself off constantly. But um, I thought that was very uh, interesting. That's cool. Hotel room. Who the hell, you know, remembers hotel room? Right? Well, yeah, it gives us a reason to watch that show again. Let me throw something at you, like the whole thing, because this is maybe a little bit of an addendum to the our, you know, the Unified Lodge theory that we've been discussing is that. Like once Cooper is, well, when he's 
going on his journey outside of what appears to be the Black Lodge. Like the very first place he goes to is like the glass box in New York. And then he goes obviously to where we were discussing the, the Purple Room and then he winds up in like Vegas. But since the evolution of the arm, you know, kind of like jogged his memory a little bit or, or just kind of gave him a message or clued him in on what this kind of journey you're about to go on is going to entail about do you remember your doppelganger? And if he never really left the lodge, like we like like we posit that that jogged his memory. Somehow he was able to psychically connect to the events of Mr. C in the past 25 years of what he is, what he had done and what he was doing and what his motivations are. Like that was the moment. And then when he goes on his journey, since he's not actually physically leaving the lodge, that all of these image, images are being somehow manifested or influenced by the events of Mr. C's lifestyle so like the glass box we know that he you know probably was the one who had that commissioned because we saw that photograph and we know like the purple room if we're going to go ahead and uh, ascribe like you know nato to judy and he wants to get to the white lodge and if if nato is really diane and he sent her there that was somehow in in mr c's psyche and then obviously vegas and the tulpa dougie that was obviously created from mr c and that's who uh, Cooper, you know, winds up living the life of. So all of these events are somehow tied to like Mr. C. Don't no. you think Janie would be Mr. C's half sister then? What? <laughs> I don't know. That's kind of murky. That's what I mean. That's when we talk about like the the unified lodge theory and that everything in Vegas is uh, a Cooper um, lodge dream. Like, what is the carryover and connectivity tissue with, like, Mr. C's journey really outside of the lodge? Like, it gets kind of murky. You're right. So there could there could be connection points. Like you're saying, at the, the glass box, that he, he shot out through the glass box, and that is a place that Mr. C created. So there's a connection point right there. Was that real? Was, was that, was that a, a lodge fantasy uh, that, that, that was manifested based on what he now knows about Mr. C, his doppelganger that he's now remembering? Uh, or was he somehow really briefly shooting out of the lodge and just like the box monster did and really being captured for that one moment being the only moment that he was uh, really in the real world until like 17. Right. Well, I'm just, I'm trying to just somehow place like why those specific images, why the glass box and the purple room, like why that, if that didn't actually like physically happen, why did we see those events? Because he obviously would not know of that, but if he somehow like the Corsican brothers psychically tied to Mr. C, that would kind of make sense because I think Mr. C is somehow is psychically tied to Cooper. I think he knows that Cooper is not killed. Um, I think he would know he would somehow feel it. He would intuit it somehow that these two, because when Cooper in the lodge in part two and is asked, do you remember your doppelganger? The camera goes really close on his face. And then we cut to him, Mr. C and Daria, that whole scene in the motel room. It's almost like you feel, at least I feel that Cooper in the lodge is watching this in his brain. You know, because when it ends, like he just, it's like, Oh, it's like the weight of like, you know, his doppelganger, like his failed mission from the end of the original series, the, the consequences of everything. Like he's, he's finally understanding like the weight of that. And it very well might be tied into what Laura whispered to him in his ear. I mean, we don't, we'll yeah, I buy that, but it's interesting. Like you would think that maybe there would be some sort of like scenes where, you know, Dougie's having a horrible nightmare or having flashes of like Mr. C's reality or something, <laughs> right. but all through that jock Tati seven or eight episodes or 10 episodes, or whatever it was, there was nary a mention of that. 
You never really right. saw any real Mr. C connections other than just the box, right? What else? The life of Dougie Jones, Mr. C is like a reflection of all of that. I mean, it's like just, it's all shades of, of Mr. C because Dougie is a part of Mr. C. So it's all, it's this, it's cascading effects. It's, it's, uh, it's this residue of Mr. C and it's this life that even his son and his wife feel the, the weight of all of these like poor, like horrible decisions that Dougie has made like throughout their whole life is because he is a part of Mr. C. So of course, yes, there isn't, you don't see physically, you know, Mr. C in Vegas at all. I think you feel that you felt, you felt that kind of presence. And once Cooper gets there, things start to slowly kind of change for the good, but everything was like kind of bad, like Rancho Rosa, the whole, everything was just kind of decayed. It just had this kind of like, you know, vibe of like a kind of like a dark place, like the cops, even the Mitchum brothers were very antagonistic towards, you know, Dougie Cooper until, you know, the dream. And then ultimately when they met him and, and everything. So slowly, even Bushnell and the lucky seven with size more, it was really kind of Cooper's presence that really kind of kind of, poked through the veneer of, of darkness and kind of shine the light of this whole thing. Do you think Mr. C saw little uh, icons of the Black Lodge like uh, Dougie did over the, <laughs> the, the, the jackpots? We just never saw that. Maybe that'll help him win all that money and earn, become a billionaire drug kingpin. Now I, now I think it's just like the Tai Chi that, uh, that uh, the one-armed man was doing, like don't die, all that stuff or whatever. Yeah. That's just him doing his Tai Chi and kind of just showing – Cooper, hey, look, you know, you're not, you're still in the he lodge. Was Skyping, doing Tai Chi, like in the exactly. lodge, just Skyping. <laughs> hey, you lost, buddy. Yeah. Get out of here. You're gonna die now. Later. Yeah, what about right. the whole "you were tricked" thing with the the little dot, little little seed? You were tricked. Wait, wait, wait. You were tricked. Wait, wait, wait. Are you talking about? You're yeah, talking about the one, one man, man says you were tricked in episode. I think it was four when he wakes up. Now one of you. Must oh, die. oh, you're talking about like uh, when he when Dougie's in his bedroom and yeah. like in his jammies, right? Yeah. You were tricked. Is that solved? Um, solved. Well, that was, well, that's a good question. Yeah. So you were tricked. The whole thing is that, so. So I'm Mr. saying Judy Mike, could have tricked him into that. Like that's a pos- that's an option. Judy could have tricked well, him into that. Well, that's what we thought, right? Yeah. She, she changed the portal yeah. to 15 to three. Yeah. Right. So you were tricked. Yeah. You should have gone out. Don't you think that 15, like he should have gone out probably at Glastonbury Grove or at least that, whatever that highway the was highway. that Mr. Yeah. C was driving down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, that's good. Yeah, you're tricked. Yeah, but th- didn't the American girl even say, like, you know, when you get there, you won't, like, when you get there, you'll already be there. So she knew he was being tricked. Well, then was that the entire, like, artifice of the, uh, you know, the Unified Lodge theory? The reason why he was in the dream state all the time was because he got tricked into it. He was trying to get out. He was trying to go out and, you know, get his bad guy, well, yeah. back Dougie bag or bag Mr. C, and trying to, you know, complete his mission. But he got tricked, and that's how he ended up in the, in dreamland for 12 episodes. Yeah, no, they thought that whole thing, you're you're exactly right. The whole thing was in part two, all of those events with the one-armed man and Cooper and the evolution of the arm was just like kind of a preamble for him getting out and kind of educating him. Like, okay, you're going to get out. Mr. C is going to come back in. Bob's coming back in. But something's wrong because the one-armed man says that. It's almost like the influence of the Tulpa, the Dougie, somehow becomes known and the transfer is not taking place. And then we see, obviously, maybe, you know, that whole thing with the evolution of the arm being tied to Mike was then 
so then sent him on this journey because he could not actually physically leave at that time. They knew that at that point. And then he went on the journey and then he was given all the clues by both the evolution of the arm, squeezed his hand off and Mike with various lodge things, the pie, all kinds of stuff or whatever, um, because Mr. C never came back in. So that's exactly true. Yeah. So in that regard, then Judy is pulling the strings to get Cooper into uh, Fantasyland for 12 episodes, thereby helping Mr. C you know, not inhabiting Mr. C and bringing him back in. So it almost seems like Judy and Mr. C are in some sort of cahootage. Right, right. And it very well could be that the, the 119 chick is that kind of sentry, uh, like a Judy kind of uh, sentry, right? That uh, to keep watch, yeah, keep watch. of like Cooper, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which you came up with, which yeah. I think is really good. Like yeah, but then, th- then you think if that's the case, if Judy and Mr. C are in cahoots, then why the fuck? Is Mr. C so confused about you know who Judy is? Well, maybe he's just a pawn in this whole chess game of life. You know what I'm saying? Like Mr. C thinks he's got some sort of uh, he's like a knight, but a really stupid knight on the chessboard, and Judy's like you know helping him doing like you know not that they're in cahoots, and, but she's you know fucking with Dale, and that thereby that will help Mr. C live longer. But she doesn't really care about Mr. C. You know what I'm saying? He's just like a facsimile. He's just a tulpa running around essentially, a doppel, dime a dozen. think who we saw in part two laura palmer do you think that was actually laura or carrie page well i would say it was laura until we saw the the dvd and the all the you know that the, <laughs> she her call sheet said they call carrie page the stage which kind of confuses me so i would still say it's laura right but don't you think even if it was carrie page that's one in the same they're not yeah. two separate yeah it's just her in a different right. timeline different different incarnation it's still her all essence right, and it's still laura if there was this timeline that somehow was this alternate timeline that came to be like after maybe part seven um, or slowly started to kind of come more into focus at that particular time that the Leland aspect of it, even though he's no longer around, but him being possessed by Bob um, could be completely wiped out. If we're talking about all these, is a future, is a past, all these nebulous timelines, the whole idea of it really does seem like on this this chessboard between the fireman and, and, and Judy that we're talking about, really like the ultimate like chess piece, the queen, is, is, is Laura Palmer. And that's what they're trying to maneuver and trying to fit. It's all about kind of Laura Palmer. And if Laura was ultimately you know not killed... Uh, and, and Judy has to come up with another like plan to, 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 to do it. And this alternate timeline is created that it goes all the way back to 1956. So instead of Leland being possessed by Bob outside of uh, at Pearl Lakes, outside of his grandfather's house or whatever, like that never happened. Like this bug made it into Sarah. So because I don't really believe that in the timeline that we know of the first season that Sarah is host to this bug, presumably the jumping man associated with Judy, and, Bo- and Leland is Bob. I don't believe that. I think it's, it's Leland and Bob, and Sarah is uh, just gifted. She sees things, but uh, it's just because of, you know, she's just psychically gifted. But once we get another timeline here, 
where the events that's going on, this chess, you know, this chess match between the firemen and uh, and Jaude, is that the Leland Bob thing is exonerated. He's exonerated from it. He winds up killing himself in the original series, or in uh, excuse me, in, in Frost's book. Well, that's interesting. So you're saying that like all of season three then is like almost a slow evolution of this retconned reality. And then yes. now at the towards the end of season three, it's slowly the retcon has taken effect. And now we're seeing the powers of Sarah. It's almost like that uh, if they couldn't uh, kill Laura or, or inhabit whoever's in that house on any time with Bob, you know, that then they're going to bring the big ju- the big guns down, big guns down in the new reality and inhabit Sarah with Judy. So that's interesting. I think that's possible. Yeah. Yeah, so that's it. So almost like going back and said that's completely been. There'd be a lot of bad guys in the, the house if they were both there. <laughs> but okay, so my yet. final thing, <laughs> my final thing with that, that that great scene, one of the best, I think, one of the darkest, scariest scenes of season three is at the end of part seventeen when we hear Sarah like moaning yes, and in pain. Crazy. God, it's so. Ugh. And then just to know like what she did to kind of get into character in, in the Blu-ray, which is just... Yeah, I thought it was like a horrible, beastly sound, but then, like, I've heard it 500 times, and it is definitely Grace Zabriskie. It's great. Oh, yeah. Oh, she yeah. just did a wonderful job. But yeah. what we, we think, we, we take that at face value, at least I certainly did, is that that scene uh, occurs, I think, right after, like, Cooper saves Laura, right? Yeah, saves like, her turns to color, and it's like, then we think, like, okay, all right, Sarah... Because that was in 1989, and what we're seeing with Sarah is in present day and that she could somehow like like feel that right yeah so my thinking is is that what if that scene of sarah is not placed linearly it doesn't occur at that particular point we're seeing it obviously what if that scene is actually happening concurrently in a different timeline at the very end of the series part 18 well, that's like the overlay theory, like doing lapping over seventeen and eighteen together, right? Mm, I, I don't know. Are you talking about the sink? Yeah, I think like the... they're walking up. That if you sink it, if you lap, if you overlap seventeen over eighteen, like when they're walking up the step, the whole thing ties into that scene. And then by the oh, end, really? she's screeching and screeching, and it's all happening right with the scream. It's all mix. It's all tying together. So yeah, that's. I'd like to see. Well, that. I didn't I've think about that. It. Did you watch it? I did, but I don't remember that aspect. See, I thought when they did the 17 and 18, they ran 17 forward and they ran 18 backwards and they met at the (laughs) end of 17, the beginning of 18. But I... I uh, no, well, I mean, I someone was... I'm sure did that, but the one that I think got publicity is the one just like putting playing 17 and 18 exactly the same time over each other. Okay, and so I think that's wouldn't that be interesting though? Is that in that present day, like in a different timeline with her house in kind of disrepair, like exter- you know, on the exterior and, and, and the interior and the, 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 the way that it looks on the surface in part 18, it looks very nice on the outside and inside it's and very nice Sarah on the screaming, the tree mods, going crazy that she's screaming yeah. and that here's Laura coming up to the house and she's like, no, no, no. And well, when we I get like to hear that. at the end, we get to hear Laura, like she's, we got to hear exactly. a little bit of her scream. So yeah, I like that idea. Yeah. Okay. I, I didn't know it. that was yeah. You kind of like you may want to go to YouTube now and see if I can find it. If someone's still posted up there, I'd like to watch the image. Yeah, there's that great yeah. image that we found of Member Cooper like walking in the furnace room. Yeah, and then the image in Part 18 when they're driving and the headlights like are Through over his, his eyes. eyes. Yeah, there's all kinds of cool shit, man. All right, until next time. Thanks for tuning in. Is dead. 
Black box, the love of the goose is dead. 